Who you calling crazy? Welcome to Who You Calling Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Kuhnley. Joining me today is Rosie Molinari. She's an educator, the founder and board chair of Circle de Luz, and the author of two amazing books, Beautiful You, A Daily Guide to Radical Self-Acceptance, and Hijas Americanas, Beauty, Body Image, and Growing Up Latina. And I also just describe her as a self-care and self-compassion guru. Can't wait for you to hear our discussion. We usually just kind of jump right in and just um, get right to it, and I'm um, just so thrilled and I would love to just kind of hear what you're willing to share with us about your journey with mental health. Oh, well, I would say, first of all, thank you for having me and, um, what a treat to be able to have this conversation and think through these things and, you know, share mm-hmm. community with others on this. Mm-hmm. I would say that, um, you know, I think that for me, mental health is figuring out how to reconcile and find peace with the coping mechanisms that I developed over the course of my life Mm -hmm. um, as ways to compensate, Mm -hmm. create safety for myself, or try to prove my worth. And for Mm -hmm. the longest time, I felt like the way that I established my worth was by being good, mm-hmm. by showing up for others, mm-hmm. um, and by being really other referenced. And what I recognized in my first career as a high school teacher, when I got incredibly sick and pretty close to burnout, was that I really operated by the fundamental belief that every single person. I interacted with was worthy and enough simply because they were born that worth was their birthright but I never had that same understanding of myself and so mm-hmm. I think that was a big realization for me to learn to have a healthy relationship with myself um, and so much of that was really tackling the stories mm. and the coping mechanisms that I had put into place that made me feel like I had to give to the extent that I did, and I had to um, show up the way that I did. Yes. Now, now as I think about it, it's interesting to watch evolution, so that's like initially one part of my story, but I think about the ways now that becoming a parent and sort of having that intense amount of love for someone um, makes you feel vulnerable. And mm. safe. And for me, that was something that really sort of peaked anxiety, which was not something that I would have ever used um, to describe, like being anxious was not something I would have used to describe myself before that. Um, and even how okay. grief has played into my own mental health journey over recent years. Right. Well, I think to this point, it's a constant evolution. It's a constant thing. You don't just like figure out your mental health and then it's all roses and ponies and rainbows, you know. Um, You know, and that's so interesting because we, we, when we're working to grow and to heal, 
we want to get to just, or at least I wanted to get to just park in it. Like, can I please arrive and just put this bad boy in park? And what I've realized is that it is all journey. Like it is always journey. And it's always, and then the willingness, it's like the willingness to constantly figure out what the stories are you're telling yourself, or are you willing to be vulnerable? Are you willing to tolerate discomfort? Um, Yeah. And I love how you worded just the, how you chose safety for yourself and and what that means. And that means something different to a lot of people, right? Just that, but that emotional safety, predictability, kind of that's how I was hearing it in your story. Yeah. And I think that um, we all have different ways that we look for safety um, or that we, we cope. And so maybe that's, if I do these things, I'll be good. Or if I look this way, I'll be good. Or, um, you know, a whole list. Yep. And I think it's important not to have judgment about ourselves in those moments because we were doing what we could to create safety and to survive in our minds for ourselves. And so um, having grace for ourselves, but then also recognizing, oh, that's that's my pattern. Um, That's a thing that I do. And now can I just be open to self-awareness and Mm -hmm. self-observation in hopes that, that I can be aware of that pattern and be responsive to it and maybe stop it earlier Mm -hmm. um, in its cycle this time. Yes. And you've obviously found that rewarding. I was just going to say, and if we're going to, you know, believe that it's all journey, the good news is we get to begin again all the time. That's it. That's it. And that, that grace that we're, we tend to do a better, better job at giving that to others. Right. And, um, we hold ourselves to these um, wacky standards. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the permission that we can give ourselves in the starting over is beautiful. And then how, finding the reward in it, because of course it's hard work and it's uncomfortable to look at yourself and realize like, Oh, these aren't, these aren't flaws. Like you said, these aren't flaws. These are me doing my best. And this is how it makes sense in my story. But what's on the other side of getting through that is rewarding and we, we can get there. Mm-hmm. And I love that you just said permission. I think that permission is something we can be really stingy with ourselves about. We're we're typically, you know, if a friend calls us and they're like, I can't figure out if I should do this. We're like, go for it. And then Mm -hmm. with ourselves, we're like, how dare you think? Um, Mm -hmm. And so I Mm -hmm. think having a mindset of like permission granted can be really powerful Mm -hmm. for ourselves. Yeah, and you must have you must see it. You know, like I'm aware of this with clients too. But as an educator, um, when you and I love that in the intro to your book, where you would you know have each individual student come to the front and and tell them the the thing that you saw in them, and just this inherent need that we have to feel seen and to know that we matter. And so you gave them that gift. And and you're still an educator, so I'm sure. And, and I know that just through your words, you it, it's so authentic for you. Um, and do you feel like that has helped transform you too in your own your own self worth journey? That kind of doing that for others brings you to a different space in that. If that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I think when I had that moment in my mid twenties where I was really burnt out and was in the hospital, I kind of had this moment where I thought, I see everyone else is worthy and enough and I got Mm -hmm. to this place because I don't see that about myself I feel like I have to 
to give until I give out. Um, and so that became this moment of, you know what? I hope that my students know that they are worthy and enough. I hope that is always what I translate. I really want them to feel seen and heard and understood. And yet there has to be an element of that mm-hmm. that is not does not completely translate if I don't think that of myself. And that was this big moment where I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to believe that um, every person matters, then I have to believe that about myself. I have to believe that my worth is my birthright. Um, And it was, it was, you know, probably in that moment, it was the way I needed to see it because it was a way that I could access truth for myself and self-compassion um but also connected to my students who were really what i saw as my purpose um but then ultimately it was a way to give myself this this truth that i really needed yeah that's beautiful and to hit kind of a, a barrier like hospitalization right i mean that and that's your body telling you too like we can't we can't yeah. do this anymore <laughs> you, you yeah. know yeah you know i didn't realize i'd had this fantasy i i i really from a young age was someone who sort of pushed that envelope of get you know give until exhausted and i used to have this fantasy i had it even when i was young like before i was a professional i, I remember having this little dream in high school where I would kind of hope for something a little bit bad, but not too bad to happen so mm. that I would be forced to rest. Wow. That, like maybe I could fall down and break a leg and I have <laughs> to be in bed for two or three days and somebody else has to take care of me. Um, and that was like a little like fantasy I would have that now I'm like, oh, bless your heart. Um, Ryan was just like, I just need a little bit of a break. And it's interesting. I do a lot of self-care work now. And whenever I tell this story, and the first time I told it, I felt so much shame about admitting it. But it was like, I just have to admit um, the number of nods in the room. Like, it, I was like, yep. oh, wait, we all do this? We all kind of secretly wish for uh, a break. Like yes that forces us into a bed where somebody else has to take care of us for a little period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Ugh. all that to say that um, now I know, like one of the things I try to do now is, is to have an early warning system where if I am getting a little bit crispy, as I like to call it, like yes. where I am like just a little bit dried out on sort of showing up I in like the world. That. Um, uh-huh. I realize it now with my voice is tight as I talk to someone as opposed to laying in my bed fantasizing about a hospital visit um, Yes, where I don't have to think about anyone else's needs and someone else is thinking about mine. And so developing ideally enough self-care that um, my window of tolerance is a lot wider than it is. Um, gets when I wear myself out Mm -hmm. enough awareness about how I show up in stress and the importance of completing the stress cycle that I do that. But Mm -hmm. if those two things 
get a little bit lost in translation? Do I have an early warning system where I notice, hmm, my voice was tight when I was talking to Juliet, and that's not my best self, and I need care. Yes. And then how to ask for that or set boundaries or, yeah, give, uh, give yourself permission again. Yep. Yeah, knowing those warning signs is another great thing of, um, of self-awareness. What, what do you hear as a self-care worker? What do you hear most or what's asked most often about self-care? I mean, I feel like we, it's, we talk about it. Everybody hears about it a lot and has these glamorous ideas of what it should be. Yeah. Right. So, you know, so I think that's the most important thing to realize is that self-care isn't like the spa day. It, it is the daily actions that we are willing to take right now um, to to attend to our whole needs, our mm-hmm. mind, our body, and our, our soul, our heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best way to do it is to say, you know, I drink water all day long. I journal a couple questions. I connect with friends. Like to have these things built into our day as opposed to try to weekend warrior or vacation warrior our care. Yes. Um, And so, you know, it is, and it's also not a reward. It's not anything we have to earn. Um, we, We are living beings and we all require care. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is just the the reality of you know being being alive. Yeah, um, and that we and deserve so recognizing this is not something I have to earn, mm-hmm. and this is not something that has to be, and it doesn't even have to be anything we spend money on. Um, mm-hmm. There's so much care that we can extend to ourselves that that doesn't have to have a big price tag. Um, and so just really recognizing this is a daily investment I make in myself mm-hmm. so that I can show up. Um, and I deserve it. The way that I'd like to yeah. so that I'm resourced. Yes. And I deserve it and I'm worthy and it's not selfish. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think the watercolors, you're doing like daily watercolors. What, um, what's your go-to self-care? And I, that's a hard question for somebody who, you know, you're very intentional about it. So how would you answer that? So, you know, well, I'm glad you brought up the watercolors because um, 13 months ago, that was not something I did. Um, it is something that I picked up right as the pandemic started. It's not anything I had a natural talent for. And it's something that is so absorbing that for me, it really is a bit of a meditation. So I try mm-hmm. to paint every day. It is often 10 or 15 minutes. Um, It requires so much concentration from me that it is like a meditation. I really have to lose myself in it. I can't, I can't play a conversation back in my head. Um, So like for those 10 or 15 minutes, it's, it's whatever is released around me. So that's really great. But the reason why I'm glad you brought it up is because that is, there are different, there are different moments in our lives even in different seasons, on different days, we need different care. Yes. Um, And what I found when the pandemic started was that things that had served me really well, I couldn't do anymore. Um, Reading was really hard for me, and I am usually, you know, a very indulgent reader. Um, 
I, we, I'm a big puzzler, like, you know, jigsaw mm-hmm. puzzles. And I didn't do a puzzle from March until December. Mm. Um, I just did not have the focus for it. Just like I didn't have the focus for reading. Um, and so I really had to say, all right, well, what's it going to be? What's going to help me take care of myself during this time, especially as I found sort of my anxiety about keeping folks safe um, in, in my family sort of upped. And so um, I try to have daily movement. Um, I paint um, out of water. I walk around with a water bottle all of the time. Um, I uh-huh. make soup on Sundays as um, sort of a prep for weekday lunches, sort of, you know, it'll take me, to, you know, it'll cover me Monday through Wednesday. Um, and that's helpful. Um, yeah. Figuring out things that support my sleep. And so magnesium yeah. cream, once I hit like pan- pandemic insomnia, magnesium cream is saving my life right now. So I'll just drop. I up. saw that. Cook's yeah. Organics. Mm-hmm. Magnesium cream is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. sure we're doing some fun things together as a family, which one of the easy things we do is that we watch Wheel of Fortune <laughs> together each night. My my 83-year-old dad lives with us, and so it's like a perfect, yeah. like, cross-generational thing to do, and, and that's totally, Yeah. Totally. Pat Sajak is like the Energizer Bunny. I don't know. He, like, never ages, and yeah. Yeah, he can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> I love that. Um, can I ask, I just kind of circle back to mental health and just in your journey. Can you, can you say, can you speak a little bit to the intersection of race and your journey with, with mental health? Yeah, you know, I think what's interesting to me is that I'm now aware that probably some of the pressure that I felt when I was young was partially because of, like, who I am and, you know, how things were happening, you know, like, going for my family. But a lot of that was related, like, just generally, but a lot of that was related to we moved to the U.S. when I was two. My family's Puerto Rican. Um and and realizing like I'm very different, um, my family's different, and um, what can I do to be accepted? And which is a way of finding safety, right? Um, and so I think that some of my early coping mechanisms were came about because of my awareness of my difference and wanting to neutralize. Um, reaction in some way you know and what's interesting now is that some of the anxiety I have in motherhood is related to like any anxiety that a parent would have and then some of it is related to the fact that I'm the mother of a black son and um, the profound anxiety I have for his safety about every minute of the day, you know, and it means, um, you know, really different things like being aware of what he wears outside of the house, because I don't want a hoodie, um, to get him killed. Mm -hmm. And, and just like the, the intensity and weight of, of how that shows up in one's life. Mm hmm. On the daily, constantly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm 
I'm so grateful for you to be able to speak to that. Um, and it's, it's something that I think the dialogue around that kind of, um, yeah, the intersection of race and day-to-day stress and all of it, I think has shifted a little bit um, in the past several years, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about it more, maybe in a little bit of a different way, but to have um, people like yourself that, again, you can kind of just speak to it really authentically and share the story, it makes it a little bit more kind of relatable maybe for people who, um, get to kind of sit in their privilege and not think about that stuff. Um, so, and, but it's vulnerable. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I yeah. had this really powerful conversation with a friend a few years ago. Um, I was talking about attention. Um, my son really wanted to wear fast clothes is what he called it at the time, mm-hmm. athletic clothes to school. And generally we, we had him dress a little nicer than that. Um, to school and part of it was because I knew that I knew as a teacher um, and I knew as you know just someone living in this world that um, how how he presented himself would sometimes be how folks took you know how not even how he presented himself but like that if he showed up mm-hmm. in a little button down, um, people might take him, interpret him differently than if he showed mm-hmm. up in a sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, we would have these conversations about clothes and, um, you know, I was at least aware enough of my anxiety to be like, he doesn't need to know like all the reasons why I'm scared at this particular age. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, wow, like all the ways that I'm scared are await in his world. And how, like, how do you find that balance where as a parent, I don't, I, I have to worry about the clothes he wears as opposed to like not ever having that enter um, sure. my mind as a parent. Mm-hmm. And, and when I was having this conversation with my friend, she was like, I have never had to think about what clothing my children had on for anything like mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. just not I don't have to worry about mm-hmm. what will someone think of them um, mm-hmm. and it was a really sort of tender moment between us and I, and um, it was a moment where I had really sort of kept that secret mm-hmm. um, that anxiety secret and it was a moment where I realized Ugh. like there was just a little bit of relief in sharing that and her reaction was so tender and um loving and it it reminded me of how important it is for us to share our vulnerabilities that you know we think our vulnerabilities will break us and they are the things that bridge that bridge us yeah connection and growth that's how that happens yeah that's awesome um so in my head your like self pep talks must be pretty amazing because i'm like i want to hear everything rosie has to say but when you're not giving yourself an epic pep talk um do you have any like go-to authors or quotes or mantras what resonates with you so um poetry is what Mm -hmm. resonates with me i um even at a super young age, poetry is what like I gravitated towards when I needed a bomb. Um, and so I really love Mary Oliver and Lucille Clifton. 
and um, Naomi Shiab Nye um, and Alice Walker. Um, and Maggie Smith has a poem um, called Good Bones that she wrote a couple years ago. Oh, that was right. Just yes. Breathtaking. Um, so that's usually where I go to find um, comfort if I'm having yes. a hard day is a poem. Okay. And then sunrise or sunset and why? Oh my gosh, this is so hard for me. Um, <laughs> I really want to say both, which is just so indicative of my personality. <laughs> um, say it, girl. I, okay, so I think of sunrise as this really cool metaphor for um, like this idea that we get to begin again over and over and over. Um, but the reality is, like, I don't really want to be up for sunrise. Like, I'd, yep. I'd like to be in my bed. And so then, like, what I'm most likely to to see in and viscerally appreciate is a sunset. Okay. That's a beautiful answer. The both and. It doesn't have to be either or. <laughs> I am all both and. Yes. Oh, thank you, Rosie. I'm so honored that you joined and I'm just grateful for your stories and your wisdom. And I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for the invitation and for yes. all the good work you're doing. Yes. All right. Thank you. I invite you to consider in your own life, if there are habits or patterns or coping mechanisms or ways of showing up in the world that you created to find some semblance of safety or belonging or security, and then maybe dig into that a little bit. I wonder if those are truly aligned with personal values or perhaps they were influenced by societal pressures or values. But take a look at this again without judgment because we're all doing the best we can. And this stuff is usually developed uh, subconsciously as a way to help us survive or move along in the world. And so the good news is that if we can increase our awareness around that, we can unlearn some of these things if it no longer serves us. And we can find a different way of showing up in the world or new narratives that we want to subscribe to, or maybe more adaptive coping skills. So give yourself permission to rest, to find moments of self-care and reflection, just as we discussed in this episode, and take good care. Till next time. So who you calling crazy? I think you mean human. We are removing the stigma, y'all. Say it loud and proud. Yep, I go to therapy. 